It's wicked nice out. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> wicked nice out. We're in Massachusetts. And oh. it's a beautiful day. That's right. Welcome to another episode of Brew Roots. Now, I don't even know what episode we're on at this point. Doesn't matter. We're going to keep doing it every week, so. Emily, this is our third episode together, though, so what do you think so far? I'd say third time's a charm, Matt. Oh, so second and first we're time we're on good We're done. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, right now we're drinking the True North Cerveza, the Mexican lager. Um, yeah, a little bit of leftover beer from Cinco de Mayo. This is super delicious, and... When you think of like a cerveza, you might think uh, basic, right? But yeah, yeah. Or you would just think like of like you know a beer that a fizzy beer that you put a lime in and tastes gross. Yeah, and this is not that at all. But it, it's like super low. It's four point three percent alcohol, and it's just delicious. Like we do hype up True North a lot, but whatever. Like we're biased because they're good. I'm just blown away by the fact that they literally reside a mile and a half away from my house so if i was really desperate and didn't have a car which i do you could walk i could walk there (laughs) (laughs) i could take my scooter there that would be (laughs) sick i would encourage you uh but true north they're awesome they they retweeted a picture of me holding a cerveza yeah they've been super supportive on instagram thanks guys we love you and speaking of instagram we've been doing these live streams that have been super fun and super successful yeah and you guys have been joining us and talking to us about the beer scene in your areas so we heard from a bunch of people yesterday from the pacific northwest and all the way down to ventura california michigan michigan too yep yeah So so we're missing you know what just you know 46 more states because we're not including massachusetts because we got that covered i know like where are my floridians where are my mississippians you know oh we had someone from ohio too that's right that's right right. it was so brief yeah it was so brief she was was on there for just a few minutes but she was really nice and i really liked hearing from pnw beer babe she talked a lot about the seattle beer scene and then we heard from mommy beerist love her pnw beer babe she like showed us her view from her apartment and i was like well why don't we live in the most amazing place like that i know everyone from seattle is so nice too. oh my god they're Seriously, just happy Sarah people collins i mean she lives in uh portland mm. and then we had an argument that portland is less hipster than seattle i i, I don't oh know oh my god they're know. the same level of hipster you know what <laughs> let's focus on today yep so th- on this day in history emily in 1787 tench cokes Tench Cokes? Tench Cokes. That's his name. Where's that guy from? Mm, he's the future commissioner of something called the IRS. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> Way back in the day, though. Way back. 17, what, 1787? 1787. Didn't we fight for no taxation without representation? So I guess the IRS was there. Mm-hmm. He marched his way up to uh, Ben Franklin's house and stated, We cannot omit to observe here that beer strengthens the arms of the laborers. Which basically just means beer makes you work better. Beer makes you work harder. I love like that old philosophy from back in the day where it was like, oh, drink beer and it's for vitality and strength and focus. Basically, it was so you don't die drinking water. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we can will spin it anyway. I mean, like they they talk about like smart water, right? Like smart water is probably just as bad as soda, but they're like, it's smart. Smart water. Nah, dude. That stuff is good. It's good. Yeah, they put, like, electrolytes in this stuff. Electrolytes are good. Hop on board. All right, so thanks, Tench. Thanks, man. 
I wish that was still in the IRS somewhere. Yeah. We, oh, it's like, what business is that of yours, dude? Shouldn't you be focusing on taxes? Yeah. Maybe he was like, oh, man, everyone's so lazy. But then I gave them beer and they were so much better. <laughs> started at their paying their jobs. taxes. <laughs> yeah. I got them. Ha ha ha. Oh, man. Emily, right. you got any facts this week? I do have a fact. <laughs> Give it to us. So, in 1978, President Jimmy Carter legalized the practice of home brewing. I didn't know that it was illegal up until that point. That's pretty late. Like, my dad was 18. So, they, yeah, he legalized the practice of home brewing, which gave life to all of the craft breweries that we know and love today. I have a small little fun fact for you. Oh, yeah? You mentioned all the craft breweries that we love today. Do you know Massachusetts alone has over 150 craft brewers? Get out. Well, that's a lot. breweries. That's, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely name like 10 off the top of my head that are close by, oh, yes. too. So I yes. guess that makes sense. It does, for sure. That's super cool. Yeah. Good good on you, Massachusetts. Yeah, go Mass. Wicked cool. Wicked. Wicked smart. Yeah, we're, we're the best. But I do love this fact because it ties in so perfectly with the interview coming up. Tell us about that interview. So this week we interviewed Todd Mott. Well, sadly, I wasn't there, but Matt interviewed Todd Mott, who is credited with inventing the recipe for the Harpoon IPA. More importantly, he runs and operates his own brewery in Kittery, Maine. And what's that brewery called? Tributary. Tributary. Check it out. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you think of the the interview? I know you just listened to it a couple minutes ago. Well, I thought it was super cool because of what he studied in college. That was something that I always wanted to pursue. And the fact that, that he like spun out and ended up doing craft brewing from that is like really interesting. He just seems like a really creative guy, like just all around artistic. Yeah, he definitely has his hands in. Uh, they've kind of, I say, he has kind of planted the seed around New England, and his roots have spread because every brewery that I've gone to, they're like, "Oh, you, you know Todd?" I was like, "Well, I don't know." I interviewed him. They're like, "Isn't he the nicest guy in the world?" I was like, "Yes." He That's is why I'm 100%. saying, hundred like, percent. I wish I had been there because he seemed so nice and so easy to talk to, and he has such a cool story. So I we're going to have to just get a beer with him soon. Agreed. So, Todd, you know, I know you're listening. Oh, I hope you're listening, Todd. Yeah. If you want to get a beer with us, uh, we can set something up. So, without further ado, Todd Mott of Tributary Brewing Company. Welcome, everybody. We are here in lovely, rainy Kittery, Maine today. And I'm here with uh, Todd Kate, Mott. Katie and Todd Mott. Katie and Todd Mott. How are you today of Tributary Brewing Co.? I'm excellent, Matt. How are you? Good. Thanks for having us. I know... Uh, Today's been a, a, a busy day for both of us. Um, oh, yeah. We, we expected a little bit more snow, and what just, we got, what, rain? Just, we got rain. Yeah. So how are you? I'm well. Excellent. I'm well. All right, Thanks. so let's get into it. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your role here at Tributary, and then your first memory of beer. First memory of beer? Yep. Oh, God. Well, okay, so uh, me, Todd Mott, uh, been brewing for a while in New England exclusively New England, uh, learned my craft way back in Boston, back in the early 90s. I uh, was able to craft uh, one of the first IPAs on the East Coast, and uh, they say the rest is history. So I've uh, been pretty much up the seaboard and have landed in Kittery, Maine, where my wife and I opened Tributary Brewing Company a little over three and a half years ago. Well, congratulations on Thanks. three and a half years. It's been successful years because... Every um, brewery we've gone to has said, I have to talk to you, Todd. <laughs> so uh, I've left an indelible ink mark. <laughs> well, I've heard the phrase, 
the godfather of the New England IPA? Well, perhaps. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, but I want to know a little bit bef- more about you. So first memory of beer. My first memory of beer, I think, was when I was probably 14 or 16. And uh, I would help my father cut the lawn. And he would always pop open uh, some sort of yellow fizzy beer. And I remember one time just grabbing one for him and one for myself. And he looked at me and said, go ahead. And, uh, you know, he took a big swig. So I took a big swig and I almost puked. (laughs) I just, you know, I wasn't, I never had a beer before. And uh, it was carbonated, uh, very highly carbonated. And it, you know, went down my throat and came back up my nose, and it was just a horrible experience. Of course, it was a yellow fizzy beer, so it didn't have much flavor to it, but that was my, my first recollection of beer. I got better as I got older. I've, I've done some research on you. You internet Catamount. Now, I, I was a Catamount. Yep. So my dad is a big fan of Catamount. Uh, and he, he asked me to ask you, whatever happened to Catamount? I know they are no longer around. Yeah, it's a sad story. Um, they, I think, were probably the first brewery in Vermont, uh, first craft brewery in Vermont. Uh, they had a fairly uh, meteoric rise to fame. Um, unfortunately, uh, when they decided to grow, and build a new facility. They grew out of White River Junction, and they built a brewery in Windsor, Vermont. There's another brewery in Windsor, Vermont, that has taken over the facility. Correct. That's a brewery that I uh, kind of helped pioneer that IPA out of. Uh, but as it turns out, uh, the investors who had helped Catamount open that brewery uh, wanted to see a return much quicker than the Catamount was actually able to do. Uh, a lot of people would argue that. If Catamount was around 10 years later, they, they would have been exploded. They, yeah. Um, but they were definitely pioneers for Vermont. Uh, they led uh, Bridgewater, uh, the guys at Bridgewater, uh, Long Trail. Uh, they, they, you know, obviously Catamount was there before Long Trail. And, and all the other breweries. You know, Greg Noonan was huge um, in getting legislation for the small breweries of Vermont to be up and running. Yep. And then also for the brew pub. And Greg was a pioneer as well. Um, he taught a lot of brewers uh, who have then gone on to do their own breweries. Uh, John Kimmick being one of them with The Alchemist. You know, it's a huge, huge success. Um, Sean Hill never worked for Greg, but was, again, another pioneer up there in Vermont. So the craft beer scene is rooted in Catamount, and it's kind of spread it its roots. Has, yeah, absolutely, throughout Vermont. Yep. But, you know, the whole craft thing really, I think, was pioneered back in 77 by Jack Albion. Okay. Uh, excuse me, Jack McAuliffe of New Albion. He was one of the absolute pioneers of craft because at that point there were just a bunch of big yellow fizzy brews. Yep. And uh, Fritz Maytag had bought into um, Anchor. Uh, resurrected it, but you know, Anchor was never really considered a craft. It was a very unique beer style. It's an indigenous beer style uh, that America only has two indigenous beer styles. One is the steam beer, the which steam. is the yep. Anchor, yep. and uh, it's known as the California Common, and then the, the Cream Ale, and that is it. Every right. other beer has been brewed somewhere else in the world and brought into the United States. Now, the craft beer industry is on fire. Because there are no, you know, there are no limitations. You know, you can do anything you want. And, and yeah, case in point, <laughs> case we are in seeing uh, milkshake IPAs. Milkshake <laughs> yeah. IPAs. Don't yes. get me started. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we um, 
my my kind of foray was through Catamount. Okay. And uh, they were one of the first people that I actually had a very hop-forward beer. Their, their Golden was a really delicious beer. Their Amber was a delicious beer. And their Porter was a delicious beer. But their Christmas beer, uh, I think it was their... Oh God! What was it called? It wasn't a winter warmer, but it was their it was their Christmas beer. I think uh, it was an IPA, and it was an IPA on steroids. It was just freaking beautiful. It's crystal clear, uh, just a whole lot of hop character to it, and it was uh, probably my favorite beer drinking beer at Catamount. And uh, we, you know, Tony Lubolt, who was uh, the brewer uh, that really kind of mentored me. Um, our big question was why don't they make this year round? You know? Right. Of course, that always happens. So let's talk about life before tributary. We got into Catamount. Well, that was my internship. So I was there for about four months. Um, and then I said, I'm going to pound pavement and I'm going to find a job. And I, you know, sent emails to everybody. Uh, actually there were letters, <laughs> snail mail. And, uh, I got uh, so many replies back saying, hey, great resume, but we're not hiring. And uh, one of the, my best ones was from Jim Cook, from uh, uh, Sam Adams. And he, he went on to say, you know, what a great resume. And you, have, you obviously have passion, but we're not hiring right now. You know, we'll keep you on, you know, we'll keep your name on the list. And shortly thereafter, I actually got a job at Harpoon. And uh, my job at Harpoon was kind of interesting because they asked me to come and be the brewmaster's hands. Cause the, the, and it, he wasn't even a brewmaster. He was just a brewer. And uh, he had accidentally chopped one of his, the top of his finger off in a kegging machine. And he wanted to continue brewing, but he couldn't use one of his hands. So they said, well, why don't you come be his hands? And within three weeks, I had the brewer's job. And Jack had taken off and left. <laughs> so it was pretty interesting. Uh, I stepped into a, uh, I think they were about 6,000 barrels at that point. Uh, so they were, you know, they were just on their way to becoming a brewery, a big brewery, regional style. And uh, I just, uh, I really was able to cut my teeth there. And uh, I did, the first, the first recipe I designed was a stout. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Harpoon was in South Boston. And stout's not a kind of beer that South Boston really likes. They like their Beamish, they like their Guinness, and they like their... Uh, uh, the more Irish style. Yeah, yes. exactly. Uh, they weren't looking forward, or they weren't looking to a harpoon-style stout that was kind of pioneer, uh, or um, a, a modeled after uh, the Sierra Nevada stout, which is hot forward. And so, you know, we did, we did a, a stout that didn't sell very well. So the next year, they kind of said, okay, well... What other beer do you want to do? And I came up with a Harpoon IPA recipe. So you, I don't know if you were quoted saying this, so I don't want to misquote you, but you felt that New England needed hops in its beer. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, and let's talk about that. What, why did you feel that way? Uh, well, because I had, I had, I, I was, had been brewing the Harpoon, pale, or the Harpoon Ale, uh, that, which is their flagship beer. Uh, it was basically a pale ale. And I just thought that th there needed to be something else. And we'd, I, my wife and I had gone to um, Maine for a little vacation during the summer, and we got a, uh, a charter uh, sailboat. And uh, the captain said, we don't have any beer provisions. We've got soda and we've got sandwiches and stuff. If you want some beer, go to the little provision store and pick up some beer. So I picked up a six-pack of Ballantine IPA, and I had no idea what I was picking up. 
This was 1992, uh, summer of 92. Actually, I think it was summer of 91. And they, uh, you know, the, the little Ballantine was, it was, you know, non-descriptive and, you know, this is our IPA. And that was about it. And uh, I popped the, the bottle open and chugged on this beer and was just like, wow, that is spectacular. What is that? Well, it was the hops. And, and that just kind of opened your eyes opened my eyes and and i was able to kind of parlay that vision into taking harpoon pale and making it an ipa and so i kind of you know i changed the recipe obviously and uh i was originally thinking that we would use english hops and make it an english ipa authentic english style and richard doyle who owned the company at that point uh was like, no, let's use American hops. And we'll just, we'll hop at the same rate, but we'll use American hops. So, so you know, he gets a little bit of credit, but, you know, I came up with the recipe. I came up with a dry hopping regime. They didn't even dry hop beers back then. Right. So it was pretty cool. So let's talk about how different is that beer today than from when you brewed it in, what, you know, 94, 95? Uh, that was 92. 92, okay. Yeah, and then it came full production in 93. We were dry hopping it, and we were home toasting the malt. So that was two very unique handcrafting responsibilities that we took on to ourselves. And uh, as it turns out, um, once I left, they changed the recipe because they thought the dry hopping was just too time-consuming. Uh, it was also costly. And then they decided that the home toasting was you could, do, you could get away with using a different malt. So they changed that, and, and the beer changed. Um, however... It's still, it was pretty darn good, and people were digging it, yep. so it took off. It's, I think it's still their number one selling It beer. is, and uh, it is actually the, I would say, like the, the gateway gateway beer to IPAs, yeah, honestly. So definitely. Uh, so craft, craft beer, being a brewer, was that like, were, you weren't 10 years old saying, well, I want to be a brewer. No, absolutely not. No. Uh, I got my master's in ceramics, which is a process. And uh, what was really amazing was that my wife saw that I was creative and she gave me a homebrew kit because when you're firing a kiln, it's 24 to 48 hours. It takes a lot of time and a lot of beer. <laughs> so she was like, well, why don't you make your own beer? I'm like, what? You can make your own beer? She's like, yeah, here's a homebrew kit. Here's a book, Charlie Papazian's Complete Joy of Homebrewing. And, uh, and go, go to it. And so I started homebrewing. And the next thing I know, uh, process was, it, it, it was a very simple step for me to change processes. And, and you were doing and all materials. Grain yeah. Too. And oh, yeah. Early on. Yeah. We're at Harpoon. You've left Harpoon. Where did you go next? Uh, Commonwealth Brewing Company, uh, which is no longer in existence. It was down by the garden. Uh, it was started by uh, two guys. One was a bass brewer named Derek Hobson, and Richard Wrigley was a marketing genius. And they knew that they'd started Manhattan Brewing Company back in the, uh, ooh, I think it was late 70s, and then opened uh, Commonwealth Brewing Company in 88 or 89. Uh, they were the first farmer brewer license in Massachusetts. They were farmer brewer license one. And uh, that always tickled my fancy. Because they're in Boston. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so I got on board there after I left Harpoon. I wanted to be, that was uh, 93. 
So I was a Harpoon 91 to 93. Uh, Made quite an impact for them in, well, <laughs> in two yeah, years. Two yeah, years, yeah. 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 Short, short tenure. But uh, then I went on to Commonwealth from 93 to 95. Then we opened back Bay Brewing Company, which was sister company. Excuse me. And uh, we built a brand new facility, um, got a really amazing chef. We were right on Boylston. It was a spectacular brew pub. Uh, And we were basically a gastro pub before that word even existed. We had an amazing chef who... um, So he was pairing stuff with the beer. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we were doing tuna burgers. We were doing tuna tartare. We were doing, oh my God, like the most amazing food for beer. And but still pub food, you know, and uh, definitely we pra- paved the way. But again, I think we were ahead of our times. And uh, by 2000, uh, Joe, the owner, had uh, brought on another partner who decided the beer thing was pretty much over and that this was a very valuable space. And let's turn it into a bar. So they got rid of the, me. They got rid of the brewing equipment. And and that was kind of the end of Back Bay Brewing Company. We had a five year run. Uh, Jeez, I think it was doing about a thousand barrels a year out of the place, and uh, it was pretty, pretty awesome, pretty spectacular. But uh, well, you know. So we're in two thousand. Yeah, um, they sent me on my way. I uh, got hooked up with a guy who was looking for a brewer to invest in uh, Quincy, and so we opened up Quincy Ships in two thousand one. Uh, we lasted about a year and a half. Uh, right out of the gate, we sent beer to the Great American Beer Festival. We won a gold medal for our uh, Irish Red. It's called Abigail Adams Amber 3A, and we were right on Route 3A down there in Quincy. Uh, we again ahead of our time. Uh, it was pretty darn blue collar and pretty much a Bud Bud Light, Coors Coors Light, Miller Miller Light town. And so I did change some people's ideas about what beer could be, uh, but we were just we were un- way underfunded. And uh, that kind of uh, came to a halt pretty abruptly. Um, the the uh, auction occurred, and I met a man named John Fahamian who was opening a brewery up in Haverhill. And he asked if I would be interested in setting up his brewery. And I was out of a job. I was out of a bunch of money. And so I went I went ahead and, oh, mud. Oh, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. We are we are doing this podcast live in the middle yes. of the tap room. And I just want to let just happens to be a couple know. dogs yeah, here yeah. that are just crazy dogs, crazy dogs. But uh, anyway, um, Quincy uh, at the Quincy Ships auction, I met John Fahamian, and we um, came to an agreement that I would come look at his equipment and maybe set it up for him. Well, I went and looked at the equipment. I was like, oh, my God, I want to brew that equipment. So I worked with him, set up his equipment, set up the tap in Haverhill, uh, and brewed for him. And I said I would brew until I could find him a brewer. And I brewed for about eight months. And I got a phone call from David Yarrington at Smutty Nose, and he was looking for a brewer for Portsmouth Brewery. And I kind of hung up saying, oh, you know, I'll, I'll think about it and I'll let you know if I know one of anyone. And at that point, I was like, oh God, I know someone I want to be brewing in Portsmouth. So I took the job at Portsmouth. I hired Dan Paquette to brew at the tap. And you know, then I was at Portsmouth for eight and a half years. And uh, that was it was a great run. I had a real just I had a great great time there. I was uh, uh, able to change basically every single recipe fine-tune them, turn it into the craft brewery place that it is. Yeah. All right, so Portsmouth, and then you said... I'm 
So we were here. I was at Portsmouth eight and a half years, and then my wife and I just decided it was time that you know I've, I've been brewing for other people for so long. Let's see if we can do it ourselves. And uh, we took a little vacation. We uh, some friends of ours had invited us to go down the Grand Canyon, through the, on the Colorado River. And as we were flying into Flagstaff, we we you know we'd left Portsmouth in July, and in October we were going to Flagstaff to go down the Colorado. And uh, as we were flying in. Uh, my wife said, I got the brewery name. I'm like, okay, what is it? She, Tributary. I'm like, what do you, what? Yeah, well, look at all these little streams and rivers that lead into the, uh, the Colorado, which leads into the ocean. Those are all tributaries. Like, oh, wow. Metaphorically, what a beautiful name. So, in the water, on your website, it says the water inspires you guys. Absolutely. For a lot of absolutely. This is just such a beautiful area here. All right, so let's talk about Tributary. What did you learn becoming not the brewer and becoming the owner. Owner. Well, I am the Bruner owner. Um, I learned that uh, as hard as you can, as hard as you set a schedule, it's easy for that to derail. Okay. And uh, little things can occur. And when you you know set a date in stone, be sure you don't set it in concrete. <laughs> the phrase I've heard from a lot of people who are in the same situation the brewing is the easy part oh absolutely the branding owning a business is the hard part it, it is it uh, is what's something that you learned in that process other than the scheduling like what is something that you were like i did not expect this at all uh oh well you know the the uh the licensing you know it takes takes some time it takes some money um patience <laughs> a lot of patience is involved um we are looking into canning our beer and so we've got to get label approval that goes through TTB, Tax and Trade Bureau, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms. Um, you know, there's just so many little things. It's so easy to run a brewery that if you're just doing kegs right. and self-distributing, once you're under 1,600 barrels, it's not a problem. You can self-distribute. Once you go over that number, then things become a little bit tougher. You've got to distribute with a, you know, a distributor. And, you know, they take a portion off the top of each keg. Of so we, uh, we really decided that we were going to stay at 800 barrels for the first couple of years, uh, try and pay down our debt, and, uh, you know, move the business so that it was in the, in the black rather than the red. All right, so let's talk about three and a half years ago, day one. What was the first day like? Uh, spectacular. Leading up to it was many, many sleepless nights because, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. We had people in the, f the door the first day. We had one beer. <laughs> that was it. You know, we had beer in tanks, but they just weren't ready. And, I, you know, I refuse to sell beer before it's ready. Uh, so we had our pale ale, which was our flagship. And people came in and loved it. And it was so rewarding because, you know, it had been almost two years since I left Portsmouth and when we opened the doors here. And uh, it was just, it was really, really fun to see people come in and the, the beer was well received. So the pale ale is what your, is your flagship, the IPA you're yeah. saying? Uh, pale ale is, it, it's a 5.2%, so not, not a IPA by any sense, right, right. but it is a hop forward pale ale has beautiful hop character. It's got a really nice malt backbone. It is a very well-crafted beer, if I might say. Excellent. Uh, so are you bringing things in local? Where are you getting your hops from? Uh, uh, we rain? do. So we do one wet hop beer, which we use local hops uh, from the Gorham, uh, the Hop Yard up in Gorham. Uh, our pale ale, we are using a tiny little bit of the Hop Yard uh, nuggets uh, for the bittering edition. And then we are using Blue Ox malt as about half of our grist profile. So we are using some local ingredients. And of course, the water is all from Kittery. 
and beautiful water. And then uh, our yeast is a, a Sierra Nevada-style Chico strain. Very and, nice. Uh, so t- let's talk about the beer I'm drinking right now. So I am drinking the, the ESB. ESB. Yep. And you said that that's a gin barrel? Uh, that came that we got 46 gallons into two 23-gallon oak barrels that we got from uh, Caledonian Spirits. Uh, they are gin barrels. They are ne- medium toast plus oak. And uh, it imparts this beautiful vanillin character as well as a little bit of the botanicals. It just rounds out the, the ESB like you wouldn't believe. It's got a beautiful oaky character. And uh, the beer is, uh, again, ESB is just one of those styles that not everybody does. And, uh, you know, it's ESB a rich, stands for, for the extra, extra special, extra special bitter. Right. Um, but it's not bitter at all. No, it's no, just, no. it's really well balanced. And, and it's a nice. 5.8%. It's a very drinkable beer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. Wonderful. And what are you drinking? I'm drinking the pale. That's kind of my go-to. I always, it seems to be the beer in my glass most of the time. Let's do like the round robin questions, like the real quick hitters with you. Uh, do you have a guilty pleasure beer? Oh, you know, during Christmas time, Sierra celebration. Okay. Just absolutely beautiful. Very good. Um, do you do any collaboration beers yet? We have done quite a few collabs. Um, my old assistant, Tyler Jones, and I did an oyster stout. So that's um, what I was asking about. I wanted to try that oyster stout. Yeah, it was really, it's really good. We do it, we do it quite frequently, I would say once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, we try not to repeat the same beer. Uh, so the most recent oyster stout we did, we used different oysters. We used some different malts. Um, and we always try and change up the recipes of every beer. But uh, it's... Um, Oh, we did a collab with Stoneface uh, fairly recently. Uh, we've done a rye porter with them. We've done uh, the uh, what we call our sour Flemish red, uh, which we did a sour kettle over at their facility. Um, uh, and then um, we put it in some Tomcat barrels that the ESB had been in. Uh, so it has a really beautiful oak character, and it's, it's tart lactic beer. Um, who else have we collaborated? We got to sit in on the joint effort with uh, Great Rhythm uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's a Belgian triple IPA. Uh, Are you excited <laughs> for that to be released? Uh, it, it was released. Okay. Um, we already blew through our log. <laughs> it was pretty tasty. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about where you get your inspiration for your beers. So is it food driven? Is it? Uh, no, it's mostly it's mostly historic. Um, I've always been a kind of a traditional brewer, and so for me, it's always been, okay, what is this beer? What style is it? What's intriguing about it? How would I change it? And so, again, I come from more of an art background than from the science background. I do understand the science, um, but I've got a brewer uh, that is um, from Davis. He's a Davis graduate. He's a brilliant kid, uh, Ian Brown. And then I've got an uh, engineer, uh, Ian Goering. So uh, both of my assistants are named Ian, which is really important to me because all I have to do is remember one name. (laughs) Exactly. Let's talk about... We're three and a half years now. Let's talk about the next three and a half years. You talked about canning. What's next? Um, you know, we don't have a barrel program going mainly because I don't do sour beers. I have, I've got one uh, Britannomyces barrel that we do one barrel a year. And now is there uh, a reason you don't do sour beers? Uh, I think there are a lot of reasons not to do them. Okay. Um, and I know that it is just a yeast strain and it's, not too hard to get rid of, but it's very easy to infect equipment. And I just, uh, you know, it's not my forte. My forte is more ales and lagers. 
stay with what you know. Yeah, absolutely. So what? what so what's next? We talked about canning. We talked about. Ah, uh, who knows? Okay. <laughs> just taking it um, day by day. Yeah, uh, you know the canning thing is um, on my plate right now. Uh, we'd love to be canning by July. Okay. Uh, we're we're going to use a mobile unit, uh, just cost effective, um, and the whole storage. You know, if you're if you're doing printed cans, you got to buy a, an entire truckload of them, and and that storage is insane. So we're kind of thinking we'll go with shrinks, uh, or or just one offs and do wraparound labels. Um, everybody seems to be doing it. Uh, nobody's you know really poo pooing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. It is so a, it's in the it's a norm for sure. Yeah. So we're uh, we're thinking long and hard. We've got a great um, graphic artist working with us, so uh, it should it should be should stand out so i notice your beers some have names some don't have names uh do you most of them don't have right names. do you when you make the beer do you do you th- oh, i have to think of a name for this or you like i don't care we we have we kind of put the name thing aside mainly because there are so many breweries and every name has been used Right. Uh, you know, you got to think of the most eclectic name in the world. And then it kind of becomes like, oh, what Cheesy. the hell does that yeah, mean? Yeah. Right. So we, st- we go stylistically most for most of our beers. Every now and then, like, you know, we came up with Hellator. It's a Hellas Bach. And I said, what the hell? Well, let's call it Hellator. Um, and then we called Montelesser, which is our Russian Imperial Stout. We, we decided to give Peter a little jab because he wouldn't give me the name. Let me take the recipe, but he wouldn't give me the name. And so, go well, the, let's see, it was Gate the Great. Well, let's call it Mont the Lesser. Just kind of jab. <laughs> give him a jab. And we're talking about Peter from Smutty Peter Eccleston, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, I absolutely admire Peter. He's a phenomenal businessman. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the timing was off for him. And uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what you're most proud of. Like, it doesn't have to be anything... With tributary. My kids. Your kids. I have two unbelievable kids. I've got a daughter who is uh, married. Um, she is uh, working in data protection for the National Institutes of Health. She's brilliant. Um, just a wonderful kid. And she's. Um, they just moved up from D.C. And she's working remotely. And she has to go down every three weeks for a week down in D.C. to be with the company. Um, and Matt is working with an engineering firm. Matt's a really wonderful man. And uh, my son has uh, decided to go into the brewing industry. And so he's uh, brewing over at Stoneface. And Excellent. I'm very, very proud of them. That's awesome. Talk about your wife, Galen. She's like your... She's my, uh, she's my uh, crutch. <laughs> she does everything. I, you know, I've got the easy job. I make beer. Uh, and I've got two amazing assistants, but Galen is really, she's who runs the business. She does everything. She does the front of the house. She does the back of the house. She does the bookkeeping. She does the social media. She is phenomenal. She does, she books the bands. Yeah. You know, she's That's the just, coolest job, right? <laughs> oh, that is the coolest yeah, job. Yeah. But she is, she's so, just so incredible. Nice. And, uh, we've been married for 35 years, which says a lot. It's funny. I, I can see in your face just, you know, you, you lit up as soon as you started yeah. talking about her. So it's, it's, it's my really gal. cool. Yeah. It's my gal. Um, all right, so social media, where are you at? Uh, and uh, let's talk about me personally. Do not do social media. I can't. I can't deal with it. It's That's just, all right, but but tributary. But but Galen is. Uh, she does Instagram and Facebook, yep. and uh, we've got a really great little team working with Galen. So they are. We've got a um, photographer who is really good, um, and so he'll do he'll do Instagram, and she Galen and 
Braden will actually talk and figure out what what we're doing this month. So, yeah, got to do it. Excellent. So where are we located in Kittery? We're at Post Office Square, um, which is on Shapley Road. It's right off the rotary, heading towards Kittery Point. It's about a mile up on the left, and it is super easy to get to. You can uh, you can just find directions on the Facebook page or on our website. I'd encourage you guys to come here because what I would encourage first, get some takeout at one of the lovely restaurants around here. Come Absolutely. here and enjoy a pint or two. Yeah, we, uh, we highly encourage people to bring food in. Uh, there is also... Um, a, a restaurant right next door to us that was in Portsmouth for 26 years. It's called the Blue Mermaid Island Grill, and they are phenomenal. Awesome. And really, really wonderful people, and they, they do takeout. Perfect. Super easy. All right, Todd, anything else? Oh, that I think that covers it, Matt. Excellent. I thank you so much for taking some time out. I think we got you out before 7 tonight, so you get to go home on time. Awesome. Awesome. All, All right, right I appreciate it. Take hey, care. Cheers. All right, everyone, welcome back. That was a great interview. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to sit down with Todd and kind of talk about things. And uh, he really lit up during the whole interview. So it was, it was fun. It was yeah. a lot of fun. He seems like a cool guy. I can't wait to get a beer with this guy. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much, Todd, for uh, taking some time. I know you're a super busy guy. And uh, check out Tributary Brewing. It's awesome there. Oh, I love Kittery in general. So I'm going to have to hit that place up the next time I'm up in Kittery. So what I do want to tell you guys is that next week we're doing an episode uh, in honor of National Celiac Awareness Month. Um, so what I'm going to do is we're going to do a blind taste test. And Matt is going to try some beers. I'm going to basically conceal them, do a gluten-free version and a regular version. You know, I'll do an IPA. I'll probably do some kind of a lager. And he's going to have to guess which one is the gluten-free and which one's not. And then I'll give you some cool information on how gluten-free beer is made because I think there's some misconceptions out there about how it's actually produced. And uh, you guys will learn a little bit about just the process. And I'm really excited about this because, you know, my whole family, except for myself and my brother Derek, we are the only ones in the house that don't eat gluten-free and we don't have a gluten allergy. So... Uh, I have tried a lot of gluten-free beers and I've tried a lot of gluten-free foods and I just want to be inclusive of everybody. So if you're a listener who has a family member that has celiacs or maybe has a gluten sensitivity, they can tune in and listen and it'll just be like a fun learning experience for everybody. I'm super excited to try some new beers because I'm never going to say no to a free beer. Yeah. And I will say like I've tried some gluten-free beers and they're pretty dang good. So I would not, um, I would not shy away from just trying them, even if you're if you don't have an issue with gluten, because they're they're pretty good. All right, Emily. So, where can you find us on social media? So you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Brew Roots, and yeah. feel free to send us an email anytime. Info at brewroots.com. Ask us your questions. Tell us how we're doing. No insults. No mothers. That sort of thing. We were just talking about that. That's the only way we're going to improve. So please. Feel free to send us anything you'd like. Yeah. We got a nice DM the other day of somebody who listened to the full episode all the way through. And then she took the time to just give us some feedback. And I thought that was really helpful. So we were just very thankful to hear from her. That just means that you guys care a lot about the podcast. You want to see it do better. And you're staying on board. And we're really excited about that. It means the world. Absolutely. So until next week, thank you so much for listening. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.